chapter 3, verses 1 to 24. And that can be found on page 1094 in the Church Bibles. That's Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know he was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had told through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come to the Lord, from the Lord, and that he may be sent may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, 
He sent it first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Good morning. It's great to see you. My name's Ollie Benyon. I'm the curate here. If I haven't met you, um, do come and say hello. Um, so, we're continuing to look at the, the start of the early church in Acts. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, um, you would have um, heard a little bit more of that. And what a start they've had. It is an incredible start. In a short period, the disciples, they had witnessed the death the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They had seen, they had touched, they had laughed and cried with the greatest person who'd ever walked on this earth. And there was no doubt in their minds that Jesus had risen from the dead. As it says in Acts uh, 1.3, that Jesus had come and shown them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He had risen. So just imagine you are uh, the disciples and you know, like you really know at the core of your being, everything about you, that this person is without doubt the Son of God. You know, the world has just exploded. They are on cloud nine. Oh my goodness, is this really happening? And so we fast forward. The Spirit, as we saw, um, um, talked on uh, last week, the Spirit is poured out of them on Pentecost and now they're not just full of excitement and wonder and awe of what has happened and what Jesus has done. They are also now just filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church is born. Thousands upon thousands of people come to faith after hearing the first sermon by the Apostle Peter. And what an amazing church it is. Um, Yana told us last week how they devoted themselves to, to being together to the teaching, to prayer, to the needs of others. And not just those they knew and those they loved, but to all people. You know, these were sold out, card-carrying, flag-waving members of God's church, and they were committed. And, and who wouldn't be? You know, everything you know, was sweetness and light at this situation. Love, joy, and peace, it reigned. They had been commissioned by Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they stood at the threshold of, of this great missionary adventure, which Luke was about to, to describe for us. The good ship Christchurch was about to set sail on her voyage of spiritual restoration. But almost immediately, starting from this passage, a perilous storm blew up. A storm of such ferocity that the church's very existence was threatened. And the initial cause of this, the initial cause of this persecution, well, from this passage, is an act of kindness. An act of kindness. So that's the first thing I want to look at today, is an act of kindness. Many um, historians believe that the central to the rise of Christianity was a simple fact that Christians generally loved one another and they loved their neighbors. This is a kind of a staple part of the Christian faith, and it, it, but it was revolutionary. They point out that in ancient world, mercy was widely seen as a character defect that ran counter to justice. Justice demanded that people get what they deserved, and that's, yeah, that seems appropriate. Get what you deserve. Where mercy extended grace, love, and kindness to people who had done absolutely nothing to deserve it. 
Yet the Christians valued mercy. Christian communities became places where people tended to live longer and healthier lives. For when they suffered sickness, poverty or mishap, they had brothers and sisters in Christ who would come to their aid and provide for their needs. And this Christian community extended love way beyond their boundaries of family and congregation to their pagan neighbors. So this is what we see happening here. Just after Peter and John had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we see in this passage what is later described as an act of kindness in, in chapter 4-9. And this act of kindness led just to a remarkable chain of events. It would lead the early believers, admittedly, into hostile territory, which we'll look at next week, but also incredible growth that eventually was to change the whole world. You know, if you had to put a bet on the success of this church making it, humanly speaking, the odds were not very good. They had no building. They uh, had no money. They had no resources. It began with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and, among other things, you know, a whole load of people, you know, speaking in tongues. You know, the, the, the church w was, you know, exploded into life with astonishing growth. No one could have foreseen this happening. But if you were there, if we were there, witnessing the miracle in this passage, witnessing these early believers, then there's a good chance you and I would have been attracted by what you saw. Attracted by the sheer, undiluted power of God released through acts of kindness. So what happened in this passage? Well, Peter and John were on their way uh, to an afternoon service. And like many of us, I'm sure, we want to arrive on time to get the, the, the right seat. It's not always the, the, just a seat. It is the appropriate seat. And um, as they were arriving, um, you know, no one wants that kind of awkward entrance, do they? They want to come on time. You know, no one wants to be you know, arriving during the times of prayer, so they want to get there on time. And as they were arriving, fully committed to walk into the temple, maybe they were imagining a conversation they needed to have or a place they wanted to sit and what happened? They were shouted at. A lame beggar was being carried to his usual position outside the temple. Obviously, this was a place where he could get money, and it was, a lot of people would come past, a lot of traffic, and there was a good way of making a living. And he observes these two men about to go into the temple. And maybe almost instinctively, I think, he, he called out with his usual petition. You know, here were two prospects. He might as well get straight on with his task. You know, money for a lame man. You know, he probably shouted this hundreds and hundreds of times a day. So, you know, he might not have expected anything to happen. After all, he'd not even reached his station yet. He'd been carried to his station. And, and these guys were, were probably just walking out of his territory, almost out of reach. And it says the beggar, he didn't, didn't even look at Peter and John. He wasn't even looking at them. He was just throwing out a, a, a kind of a request. And I imagine, you know, he expected to be ignored. You know, maybe if he was directly in front of them, perhaps he would have stood a chance. Perhaps he would have got something. But, yeah, not here. This is just a, a Hail Mary. Why not? But Peter and John did something very unusual. It was not the beggar who fixed his eyes on them. It, it was they who first fixed their eyes on him. They didn't see a problem, a stain on the community, an inconvenience. They saw a human being who was in need. And at that moment, they had the faith to do something about it. 
The beggar may not have expected anything from Peter and John, but they fully intended to give him something. They didn't have money, but Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. There is great power in the name of Jesus. To the Hebrew mind, a person's name reveals their, their character. This was not a magic formula that we, you know, to tag on at the end of the prayer. This was the difference between the ministry of Jesus and that of his disciples. You see, Jesus healed on his own authority, while the disciples did it in the name of Jesus. And in the same way, we, as followers of Jesus, if that's um, who you are today, you know, we are dependent on Jesus. In our weakness, you and I can continue to exercise his ministry in his power, in his name. And then Peter does what I imagine he saw Jesus do time and time again. Reach out, touch the beggar as he helped the man onto his feet. And what struck me when I was reading this is acts of kindness do not keep their distance. It's not afraid of what other people think, what the social etiquette is expected in that situation, but it reaches out and touches those in need. And not only was this man miraculously healed, uh, he, he jumped to his feet and began to walk and to praise God. He knew what had happened. He'd seen uh, this miraculous healing in himself, and he just wanted to praise God for it. He was a man who for his whole life had lived as a, a spectacle. He earned a living by making a spectacle of himself, by drawing people's attention to his pitiful state. Now this man could hardly care that everyone was looking at him as he leaped about, clinging to Peter and John and praising God. It was a sight that no one could avoid it. No wonder the, 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 the crowd was attracted and ran towards him. See, this one act of kindness had astonishing effect. And the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, all the people were astonished and came running to him, it says in verse 10 and 11. Now, it's easy to look at a passage like this and think, well, you know, if I saw a miracle like that, if, if God used me like that, then telling people about Jesus would just be so much easier. And, uh, but he, he doesn't. So, you know, what can I do? And, and you may be right. If, we, if we're seeing these types of miracles, sharing our faith would be so much easier. But before we give up hope that this will never happen with us, there is one lesson that stands out that I just want to just bring to our attention and I think we need to hear. And it is this. Allow yourself to be distracted. Say it again. Allow yourself to be distracted. What do I mean by this? Well, when we look at how Jesus ministered to people, we find that the majority of it involved him stopping what he was doing and meeting a need. You know, he had a plan. If that was traveling to a town or retreating away with, by himself or with his disciples to, 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 to prayer. But then often that plan was interrupted. Uh, just a few examples. Luke 9 verse 10. Jesus took the disciples with him and they withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So they wanted to go away to get a bit of relaxation, a bit of time out. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. 
What does he do? He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were uh, needing healing. And then the story goes on to him performing the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 because he saw people in need. Jesus had a plan to retreat away with his disciples, but he didn't allow that plan, no matter how important, to stop him from meeting a need on his way. On another occasion, Jesus was walking past two blind men, and they, they shouted out to Jesus to, to heal them. Matthew 20 to 32, it says, Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Or stopping to meet a woman of the well, even though it wasn't socially acceptable to do, Jesus did this and he showed kindness and revealed incredible knowledge um, to this woman of her personal situation. Or when a lame man was lowered through the roof and interrupted Jesus in his sermon, which I think a lot of preachers don't like being interrupted, but, but Jesus stopped. He didn't mind. And he met the needs of the man right in front of him. You know what, I think Peter and John would have seen this time and time again. You know, probably they always, they may have even got annoyed about it sometimes. We're trying to get to Bethsaida. We want to go and have a bit of time out. We're trying to, you know, communicate to this crowd here and now you're over here. But they saw it time and time again and they knew we've got to do the same. So when Peter and John were walking to the temple, they had their plan. But when they saw a need, they allowed themselves to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to stop and to meet that need. Now, let me get me wrong. This doesn't mean we, we try and fix every problem we face. We never manage to get to church or any destination because we're always, you know, helping the next person we meet. And I'm sure Peter and John walked past many people in need that day without stopping. But there will be occasions when we will feel prompted by what the Spirit is doing and we'll need to learn in those moments to stop to take a step of faith as we offer the healing power of Jesus. So I want to encourage us. Why don't, why don't we all allow ourselves to be distracted, to be inconvenienced, to stop what you're doing at points to allow God to use us? We may maybe start every day asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. Lord, prompt me. Help me to know when I should be stopping and meeting a need. Now, I can't promise that we will see something miraculous. Now, this isn't some magic formula. But what I can promise is we can have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, that's the Lord's will, he hears us. That says 1 John 5, 14. So this one act of kindness led to large crowds coming to Peter and John and for the second time. You know, the first time was after the outpouring of Pentecost and he preached the large crowd there. The second time, Peter used this demonstration of the power of God to proclaim the gospel. And this is my second point. It's just, there's two kind of sections in this passage. The first one was this miracle. Now we're getting into the, the message that Peter preached. And this is the second part thing I want to share. Verses 11 to 26. Now how tempting it must have been for Peter and John to get carried away with all that praise and adulation that was coming towards them. You know, you'd think, oh, maybe for a moment they had a feeling, oh, this is, this is good, oh, this is nice, you know, people are shouting my name. 
And I imagine the noise would have been deafening as people were, were, were just came running, it says, towards them to see this man who'd been healed, who they would have known. They would have spent many years walking past this person who sat in the same place week in, week out, day in, day out, and they'd have known him, and they, they came running to see this man healed. And the first thing Peter does was to correct the crowd's misunderstanding of who did this miracle. Peter tells them in verse 12, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? He's saying, don't be ridiculous. This wasn't anything to do with us. He says in verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and you know was made strong. It is Jesus' name that the faith comes through him and had completely healed him, as you can all see. And in case they didn't know exactly who Jesus was, they probably heard about him, but maybe they didn't know exactly who he was. He tells them exactly who he is. Jesus is God's servant, verse 13. He's the holy and righteous one, verse 14. He's the author of life and the prophet foretold by Moses. Verse 22, it is in the name of Jesus that people come to faith. And my point here is just a simple one. When we have the opportunity to share our faith, let us not put the focus in the wrong place. It's easy to do so, you know, our intellect, maybe the good deeds we're doing, the church building, just activities, that is not what changes people's lives. Only Jesus changes people's lives, and we are to always point people to him. Now, you may think that's, it just sounds quite scary, telling people, speaking about Jesus to people. It's, it maybe it's easier speaking about other things. But I think most people we meet are not hostile to those who believe in Jesus. Instead, they have no idea who Jesus is because no one has ever told them. Yeah, they're just completely oblivious to who this person is. And what a privilege that we can have to, to tell people about him. And an act of kindness um, can have, you know, whatever it is, can have incredible power. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it gives us an opportunity for us to point to Jesus and say, I believe he is the one that brings meaning and hope in my life, and I would love to tell you about him. And this is exactly what Peter does. He addresses the crowd and encourages them, implores them to, 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 to look to Jesus. Now, you may be thinking that anyone who saw though such a miracle would, would come to faith. You know, you know, if we were seeing these things more, in, more time, you know, we, would, we would see a lot more people come to faith. And, uh, and you may be, that may be true. But that wasn't necessarily the case in this story. At the start of this talk, I mentioned this, that a perilous storm was, uh, blew up on the early church, threatening its very existence. And the moment Peter finished preaching, not everyone was praising God. In fact, they were so disturbed by what Peter had spoken, they seized these disciples, Peter and John, and they threw them in jail. In chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. And this was just the beginning of the persecution that this early church was about to face. Suddenly, hostility was just around the corner. An act of kindness, it brought thousands of people 
to faith, to accepting Jesus, but others were threatened by it and became hostile to these new believers. And that still happens today. Last week, we had our Alpha Taster um, evening, so uh, a week Wednesday, and um, Rupert shared on why we should consider giving Christianity a second thought, and it was a great talk, incredibly compelling, but I found myself thinking, uh, I know I already believe this, but um, sign me up again. I'm I'm convinced again. This is brilliant. Um, And then on Wednesday, uh, we did another Alpha and we, we had loads of people. We had 63 guests come to Alpha on Wednesday, which is just a miracle. I'm so, so grateful for all of those, you who brought people. It's amazing. But we had, and I was speaking on um, um, who is Jesus. And as I was preparing the talk, you'd be pleased, not as I was presenting it. As I was preparing the talk, I was, again, struck by the incredible evidence of um, the, the life, death of Jesus. I found myself being convinced that Jesus, wow, he really is the son of God. This is amazing. But then I met others. I met a couple of weeks ago a guy who's gone back to Australia now at the end of um, uh, the, the, the talk uh, one of these evenings. And he, was, he wasn't so convinced. It just, he didn't, didn't impact him at all. And um, he, he just wasn't interested. No matter how compelling the evidence, not everyone sees. And we find this passage, there are some obstacles um, that, that, that are kind of hazards that we can trip over, that we can find hard to accept. In verse 19, it says this. Peter says, repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent, we need to receive forgiveness and be refreshed continuously by God. So the first thing, these are very short uh, is repentance. Maybe you don't see the need and you think we're just essentially okay. Now that's an obstacle. And you think, I, I don't need God. Before I came to work at Cambridge, I used, to, I used to do some work in prisons and one of the things I discovered and I really, uh, really, uh, really kind of challenged me was that most of the time, um, the, people, the conversations I had, people knew that they were sinners. They just knew it. You know, they, they knew they couldn't fix their own problems. They knew they were kind of at rock bottom and they needed someone, a kind of a savior to help them. It's like you could skip that part of the discussion. Yeah, we, we've got that bit sorted. Thanks, let's move on. And if you're like me, you may not find this so easy. You know, we have been taught we're just essentially good people or at least, you know, better than most people. Well, this is what these religious leaders probably thought, as, and it's just simply not true. We are all responsible for the death of the author of life. None of us are without guilt. And we need to admit our sin and our need of a savior like everyone else. You know, we need to repent. The second thing is forgiveness. You know, not being bothered to ask God for forgiveness because Maybe we just can't be bothered, or maybe we just we, we, we enjoy the things that damage us too much. You know, we may know there are things in our life that hurt us. No, it is stopping our relationship with God, but find it so hard to let go. And Jesus says this in John 8:36: if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There is forgiveness. There is freedom and offer to all those who come to Jesus, but we have to be willing to come and receive it. 
And the final obstacle is receiving times of refreshing from the Lord. We might find ourselves holding back from having a deeper relationship with the Lord. You know, resisting that, you know, I don't want to come up for prayer. Well, I don't want to just open up. I don't want to just take that next step. If, we, if I jump in, then I have to let go of what I've been putting my trust in all these years. And I just don't want to do that. And I've discovered that following Jesus is not some terrible thing that will rob you from all pleasures and joys in this world. It's quite the opposite, actually. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. And in all its fullness, there is fullness on life on offer to those who come to Jesus. But we have to be willing to receive it. So there are those obstacles. And I just want to finish by uh, how can we respond to these things? Well, like Peter and John, you know, allow yourselves to be distracted by the promptings of the Spirit. It's the first thing I want you just, just to, to think about uh, as we leave today. You know, be open to stopping what you're doing and taking a step of faith. And that could be sharing a kind word. It could be inviting someone to church. It could be offering a prayer or sharing your testimony or praying for some kind of miraculous healing. Creating moments that allow us just to point to Jesus. Because there is power in the name of Jesus, folks. And how will you respond to the message that Peter gives as well? Well, like the lame beggar, walking and jumping and praising God because he knew that God was real. He knew that Jesus had healed him. Or like the religious leaders who just couldn't see what was really happening in front of them. They were blinded to it. The offer of a full life is open to us all. But we have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to repent, to turn to God, allow your sins to be wiped out, and to receive the refreshing from the Lord. That is an offer for all of us this morning. And um, I'm going to finish now by just praying, praying some of those things in. And if you want to receive some of those, uh, those kind of, uh, that refreshing from the Lord, then I'm going to, as I pray, um, do, just ask the Lord, Lord, ask for what I want. I need your refreshment. I want to have a, a closer relation with you, and I know through that I will receive refreshment. So let's, let me just pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you, you, you are alive. And that you are willing, wanting to, your desire is to change us and be with us and transform us. Lord, help us to be people who are uh, distracted by the promptings of your spirit. That we can sense what you're wanting us to do uh, in our day. The people we're to speak to. The words of encouragement or the kind things we're to do. Lord, we ask that you will use us so we can see your, your, your name glorified. And Lord, we also uh, ask that, that, that these, this amazing um, uh, opportunity for us to, to, to come to you, that we could come to you like this beggar, walking, jumping, and praising you, and that we were able to see you for who you are. Help us, Lord, to repent from the things that we've done wrong. Allow, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness that you offer us. Help us to receive that right now.
And fill us now with the, your incredible refreshment, your Holy Spirit that restores us. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that is freely outpoured on each of us today. Amen.